We have been going through the life and ministry of Jesus here on earth. And he seems to do things repeatedly. And the advantage of going through an imperfect chronological view of his life is to see the power and authority that he has, whereas sometimes we have a tendency when we preach one sermon out of the gospel and another sermon, we kind of tend to think, well, that was a unique event. And in the ministry of Jesus, almost everything is duplicated or more. About the only thing that we cite in his ministry that he didn't duplicate was what his mother asked him to do, which was make sure that there was enough wine at the party. But he continued to heal the sick and the blind and the deaf and the mute and the quadra and paraplegics and demon-possessed people and a number of different aspects. And so when we do this, it's almost like, well, we heard that before and we heard that before. But unfortunately, we humans don't seem to learn on the first lesson. And so Jesus is going to do something in a similar way that he's done before. The circumstances are a bit different, but the teaching is still there. And so in, in Matthew chapter 15, starting with verse 32, it says this, And Jesus called the disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. So Jesus says, I've had these people following me now for about three days, and it's a kind of an isolated place, and, if, and I'm going to need to send them away. But if they don't have anything to eat, then they may be too weak to have the journey. So notice that Jesus doesn't just say, I'm concerned, but he has compassion for these people. So the disciples, always ready to lend a hand, say, The disciples said to him, Where will we get as many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? You see, the disciples continue to do like we do. We look at what we don't have as opposed to what Jesus is. Jesus has already taught that he is the bread of heaven. But they're convinced by looking at what they don't have, they don't have enough. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do we have? Take an inventory. Let me know exactly what it is that we have to work with. And they said, seven and a few small fish. Obviously, as we're going to see, this is not enough to accomplish the task. But then again, Jesus rarely asks us to do something that we have enough to accomplish the task. So one of the things that we oftentimes try to give an excuse is we have a compassion for something. We have a compassion for this need or that need, and we say, we don't have enough inventory. We don't have enough ability. We don't have enough stuff to accomplish the task. But that doesn't diminish Jesus. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. 
And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Now, I want you to notice something here. It is the disciples who are doing the ministry, distributing it to the people. The people do not necessarily know where the food is coming from. They're just receiving it. But the disciples know what the inventory is. They have seven loaves and a few fish. But Jesus doesn't distribute it himself. He gives it to disciples to do. Similarly, Jesus gives us ministries to do. It's not that we're able to do it. He wants us to participate so that when the ministry is done, we turn around and great is the Lord because he accomplished this because I knew what I started with. And it wasn't enough to even satisfy, let alone accomplish. He gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and they were satisfied. They didn't have a little. They didn't have just some. They had enough that they didn't need any more. They were satiated. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces. Seven large baskets full. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. So we always hear about that Jesus fed the 5,000, Jesus said the 4,000. No, he fed a whole lot more than that. They just counted the men at that particular time. They didn't count the women and children. He fed over 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish. And when everybody, all 4,000 plus, ate and were satisfied, they had more at the end than they did at the beginning. For every loaf of bread, they had a basket full of pieces. So the next time Jesus calls on you to perform a ministry, it's okay to take stock and inventory of what you got. But remember what it is that he does. Jesus doesn't call you because you're sufficient. Jesus calls you because he called you. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. This isn't the last time in this message where I'm going to point my finger at you, but remember, there's three fingers pointing back at me. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 1, it says this, The Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing Jesus. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. I love these guys. No, I don't. But I love these guys. They came up, which means they've, they're, they're not from this region. They came to this place because they want to accuse Jesus. And they're saying that they want Jesus to perform a sign to prove he is who he says he is. Well, what about the times that he healed the deaf and the blind? and the mute, and the demon-possessed, and the paralytics, all the things that Isaiah said that the suffering servant would do. What about all those signs? You see, when you're looking for a sign to give you faith, guess what? A sign will not. It just won't. A sign will point you to something, but a sign in and of itself will not give you faith. 
And these people don't care, quite frankly, that Jesus will perform a sign because they don't intend to believe him anyway. But Jesus replied to them, When it is evening and you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red, and in the morning there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you, not, do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but not concern the signs of the times? Now Jesus has really basically verbally slapped them. Because these are spiritual leaders, supposedly. And he goes, you know about the weather. We all talk about it, none of us do anything. But, but this little saying, we even have in our common verbiage today. Red sky in the morning, sailors warming. Red sky at night, sailors delight. I mean, we have this very same thing. We've, you know, after a couple thousand years, we're still not any better with the weather, which is great. I think if, if you haven't decided what you want to do when you grow up, be a meteorologist because you can be wrong more than half the time and still get paid well. We still haven't learned that much about the weather. And Jesus is saying, you know as much as anybody else knows about the weather, but you don't have a clue about the signs of the times. Because in a few months, the clock will continue to tick when Daniel and other prophets will have prophesied when the Messiah will enter Jerusalem. They're seeing Jesus do all of the signs and wonders that Isaiah had predicted the Messiah would do. And he's going, you haven't figured it out yet. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. That's a pretty stuff rebuke. You're seeking a sign. You want some proof. That's an evil and adulterous generation that wants that. And a sign will not be given it to it except the sign of Jonah. He left them and went away. Now this sign of Jonah, you may think, well, he rebukes them. He says, oh, you're just going to get one sign and walks away. In essence, Jesus gives them the greatest sign Ever. A sign that causes us today to have faith. What is the sign of Jonah? Without discussing the entire story, the entire book of Jonah, Jonah takes off, decides that he doesn't want to do what God wants him to do, and there's out in sea, and he tells them to throw him overboard, and Jonah is followed by what the scriptures say is a large fish which has been changed to a whale. And after three days, being in the belly of this fish, he's regurgitated out on dry land. Now most people, or at least many if not most people, think that the miracle of the sign of Jonah is that Jonah lived three days in the belly of a big fish. And it's possible I believe the scriptures clearly teach the miracle is that Jonah was raised from the dead out of the belly of the fish. Why do I say that? Because it says that Jonah 
cried out from Sheol, the realm of the dead. But God is able to do either miracle. God can keep you alive if he wants to, and God can raise you from the dead if he wants to, because our God is that great. So if you think that the miracle is that he preserved Jonah for three days, wonderful. If you think that, that the miracle is that God raised him from the dead, you're right and wonderful. But it's, he's saying this is the sign. How is it that I know and how is it that you know that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah because of this sign? Because he rose from the dead. He was in the belly of the earth for three days, and after three days, he walked out. If he did not do that, then you and I are in our sins. You are, and I are continuing in our shame, and we have no hope. But if he did rise from the dead, and he did, then he is the Messiah, and he's worth following, and he's worth believing in, and he's worth being a disciple, and he's worth trusting your life in him. And if there's some day they come out and they find the body, and they never will, but if they find the body, then our faith is in vain. And the scriptures even say that. The ultimate sign for us is the sign of Jonah. Turn, if you will, to Mark chapter 8. Matthew tells the same story, but I want to move around a little bit just to get you to understand that the Scriptures are consistent. And in Mark chapter 8, starting with verse 13, it says this, And leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. So you see the story is continuing on. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are telling the same incidents and narratives from different perspectives. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. Now remember, there's at least 13 people there. There's the 12 disciples plus Jesus, plus whoever else is hanging out as a disciple. But they got one loaf of bread. And he was giving orders to them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Jesus is trying to teach something. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The disciples decide to say, oops, we only have one loaf of bread. There's at least a minimum of 13 of us here. It's not going to be enough. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. You know something good is not going to happen when you see the people or the disciples discussing among themselves. Whenever they seem to discuss among themselves, they've missed the point. What you would think they would do is say, teacher, your rabbi, teach us. Explain to us. What are you trying to say? What it is that you want? But no, they talk among themselves. And among themselves, they may have the greatest explanations, but they don't have a clue. And Jesus, aware of this, and said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? 
Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? There's the issue. Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes you do not see, and having ears you do not hear. Now Jesus is speaking them almost as if he was speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Having eyes you do not see, and having ears you do not hear. And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? And they said to him, 12. They're right. There were 12 baskets of, of bread left after distributing to the 12, to the 5,000. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not understand yet? Now, I could spend the next few minutes, minutes criticizing the disciples. Instead, I'm going to take the next few minutes pointing this way and this way. Why is it that we always look at circumstances when Jesus is trying to teach us something? We may be sick. Well, why did I get sick? Maybe it is because Jesus is trying to teach us something. Maybe I have a disappointment. Maybe I have a family. Whatever the, con the situation is, we tend to focus on the circumstance instead of what it is Jesus is teaching. They focus on circumstance. And in this circumstance, what's the answer? Jesus said, I've done it before. And I fed more than... 13 people on a boat, over 5,000, over 4,000. There's only 13 of us, and I got one loaf of bread. And quite frankly, if they knew Jesus was, they didn't, he didn't need one loaf of bread. He could feed them from just speaking. But when God is giving us an opportunity to learn what he's doing, we should be asking him, Lord, what it is you're doing, what it is that I need to learn from this circumstance. Because I know you've done this before. I know that Jesus has healed people before. I know that Jesus has performed other miracles before. If he's done it before, he can do it again. So instead of concentrating on the problem, concentrate on what he is teaching us. They're so concerned about bread, they don't hear the words of Jesus which was not about bread, but about the leaven from Herod and the Pharisees. Almost always, there's, there is an exception, but almost always when the scriptures talk symbolically about leaven, it's about evil and sin. Now, just in case that you think that I'm going to get this out of my own knowledge rather than what the scripture says. If you'll turn back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 12, it says this. Then they understood. They did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, Jesus wasn't concerned about bread. He was concerned about what the leaven, what the evil 
teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have impact on his disciples. For you see, I'm not a cook, but I know enough to know that it only takes a little bit of leaven to cause a loaf to rise. And if you put too much in, it just kind of blows the whole thing up. A little bit of evil can impact a lot. So much so that that leaven still affects us today. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Joe? For you see, the gospel says this, that Jesus came to die and be buried and rise again that we might be with him, that our sins might be forgiven, that with our faith in Christ, we are considered children of God. With our faith in Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus, that we are free. We are free from this being slaves of sin and to be slaves to God. But what it is that most people think about, when something bad happens, God is out to punish me. No, God is out to redeem you. God sent his son to redeem you. He doesn't worry about punishing you. But we keep thinking, oh, I need to follow the law. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do the right things. And God says, no, just follow me. The law can be summed up and love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, those things are good. You don't do those things, you may need to wonder about where your love is. That leaven has impacted us for over 2,000 years. So much so that it impacts members sitting in a pew. It affects pastors. It affects worship leaders. It affects people who no longer sit in the pew because they think they're either mad at God or unworthy, and they take off. We don't do what we're supposed to do as his disciples because I'm not good enough. Jesus didn't call them good enough. He called you and me. We need a Passover that says, as the Jews do figuratively, we should do actually. What happens is before Passover, the wife, and I know we live in a male-dominated society and whatever, but usually it's the women who clean the house. Because let's face it, if we guys did, you still wouldn't be happy with it. But you, you, you clean the house, and then the man does what the man typically does. They leave just a little bit of leaven. And he takes it, and he throws it out the front door, and he's done a big deal. I've cleaned my house of leaven. Maybe we as Christians, at least yearly, if not more often, to look at our lives and see how much leaven has been placed in our lives that shouldn't be there. And not figuratively cast it out of our home, but cast it out of our lives.
Unfortunately, the disciples have difficulty understanding even though they have eyes and they have ears. A couple of days ago, we were watching a movie and I made a, a statement that um, is, a, is a phrase that you don't hear a lot of too often. In the, and it was during the movie and, and this one actress in the movie was attempting to manipulate this gentleman who had captured her, thinking that she was really smart and he was dumb and she was manipulating him. And he got her point, but the problem was, instead of doing what it was she had manipulated him thinking to do, he just killed her. And I said, she was too smart by half. My grandson goes, what does that mean, Grandpa? So his dad explained it to him. Now I have a pretty bright grandson. He may not catch it the first time because it's an odd saying. But I suspect by the second time, if he hears it, he'll catch on. It was just a saying. Whether he caught it or not, big deal. Jesus is teaching verbally, and he's teaching symbolically, and he's teaching, and they just seem to not get it. So hopefully, by hearing this message, you and I will start paying more attention to what not only Jesus says, but what he does. To see what he's teaching us. And one of the most simple things is, I got this. There is nothing too hard for me. I'm going to ask you to participate in ministry where you don't have sufficient inventory to accomplish it. It's okay because he does. He doesn't need your supplies. He needs your heart. He doesn't need your supplies. He needs your eyes. He doesn't need your supplies. He needs your ears. And we need to see, and we need to listen, and we need to see the signs of the times. Now, most of us, most people think that they don't have to worry about the signs of the times because just one moment, Jesus is going to rapture us all out of here and wonderful. But there is another sign of the time that we need to be paying attention to. And that sign is, there will be a trumpet sound, the sound of a shofar, and the dead in Christ will rise. And those of us who remain will be gathered together and we will be lifted up and we will be with Jesus from that point forever. The thing about the sign of Jonah 
We have been given over 2,000 years the opportunity to respond to this sign. That sign, you don't heed it before that sign, you're probably too late. So instead of worrying about the weather, maybe we should worry about the signs of the times. And no matter what the signs of the times are, we should appreciate that no matter what the circumstance, whether we're in a boat and it's stormy, or we're in a boat and it's safe, or we're at a wedding feast, or we're at a place where people are crying out, help me, Jesus, that we are in his presence, and we should always seek to have him draw us nearer and nearer and nearer. Because let's face it, we humans, when left to our own devices, tend to emphasize the wrong things. But when we're with Jesus and hear what he has to say and what he has to do, then we're safe. And all God's people said,